You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, everybody. If you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word seven habits. That's the number seven habits to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is A.C. Evans, and he's a pioneer in conversational marketing and the co-founder and CEO of Drips.com. Drips is the first conversational texting company of its kind, founding a new category and leading the way for some of the world's biggest brands in the world to use automated, humanized conversations at scale. Welcome to the show, A.C. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you. You're in Akron, Ohio, and I'm in Buffalo. So we're literally like, what, an hour and a half apart, maybe? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I've not driven very there far. many times. Yeah. Very cool. Well, listen, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Just to give you guys a sense as to what we're going to talk about, I mean, we're going to talk about a couple different things, but we're going to hone in on how AC and his team were able to get ranked as the 20th fastest growing tech company in America by leveraging partnership marketing. Believe it or not, that was really one of the keys. That's some of the secret sauce that he's going to let us in on today. He's going to give us a framework of how they did that and how they leveraged it. But before we do that, I'm really interested in drips.com. I'm interested in how this whole conversational marketing and automation is built in. And I know it's using text marketing. So break that down for us. Tell us a little bit about drips. What exactly do you guys do? Sure. Yeah. Automation isn't even the right word. I mean, we focus really on humanized. And what I mean by that is a lot of companies that are doing text or just doing push, meaning they're sending out a text message reminding you to pick up your prescription, to get a coupon for your Chipotle burrito, whatever it may be. Some other companies that are in the more considered purchases realm, they are opening up what I call two-way text chat, which just means you the loan officer or the insurance agent is able to hold a conversation over text message with a consumer. But that opens up a lot of problems, a lot of quality assurance problems. You know, what happens if the user texts back at midnight? You know, what happens if they send out PII when they were not supposed to? So what we've done is we've built a human trained model that essentially acts as a hybrid to the agents so that if somebody texts back and says, well, I'm busy, We've seen that humans have trained this model to be able to respond to that in the same way a human would and effectively hold a full on conversation that is completely humanized to the point where the user can't tell the difference. And at the end of it, if it is to trip up our model, it would actually get kicked to a human on our side to review and to respond contextually. So we always keep that human layer there. So it uses what, AI or machine learning or something as yep, a way to do that? Yeah, there's natural language processing involved. There's AI involved. There's a, a very, very, very robust NLP model, meaning that we've built a model and we know every which way to say I'm driving or I'm at work or I'm on a podcast or no thank you or leave me alone. 
there's a lot of, you know, you can think of the nuances to language. I mean, somebody could send you the double middle finger emoji and that is somebody that's saying no, right? Or stop essentially, but most systems wouldn't be able to understand that. Gotcha. Okay. So give us a use case because I think it would be really helpful to see it in context, right? Give us an example of maybe a client you can talk about that has used this really effectively to, you know, to enhance their conversations with their customers, their target market. Sure. We've worked with many big brands out there, Liberty Mutual, 3-Day Blinds, Debt.com, CreditRepair.com. Some examples of what that might look like for 3-Day Blinds as an example. If somebody goes to 3-Day Blinds and begins to fill out a scheduling form, they opt in, they give consent to be followed up you know, via texting and, and phone calls. And then if they abandon the form before they selected a calendar time, that user sometime shortly thereafter would get a text message from what would look like a three-day blinds agent. And it would say, hey, Dennis, just following up, want to make sure you got scheduled for your blind fitting. When's a good time? We got next Wednesday open or Thursday. And then you could just hold a conversation with the, that agent. So it, it's almost like an empty cart, right? Like where it's helping to convert breakage, what would have otherwise been breakage in the marketing process. Yeah, it's partly that. It's partly people aren't answering phone calls anymore. So there's an attention and an awareness problem where Liberty Mutual, maybe at one point, they were able to leverage a call center to contact people that were requesting quotes. But now you can't tell the difference between Liberty Mutual and a random telemarketer or a scam caller. You just see a random number. You say, I'm not going to answer this. So our system would text and say, hey, Dennis, this is Liberty Mutual. We got your quote ready. Looks like you're going to be around this much a month. Should we jump on a call to talk about it? Question mark. And then, you know, try to elicit a response to hold a conversation to ultimately schedule a call with the insurance agent. So what I like about it is that obviously, like you said, you've built, you've trained the system to respond quickly and intelligently based upon context and relevance of whatever the language used. But then I think the most important thing you said is when the system gets tripped up, it gets sent to a live person, right? I mean, that's where at that point, they're going to be able to really kind of evaluate what are the conversation prior to that? Take it in context, take it from there. And then, so you, it's an outsourced model where they're, you're actually providing that person. It's not going to the organization. It's not going to the salesperson. It's not going to the rep. It's going to them. And then maybe does it ever get shifted over to that person at some point or is it fully outsourced? Yeah, right now, it's primarily outsourced. We are looking at white labeling our, what we call our chat room, which is really just our quality assurance place where if the message did not map perfectly to one of the models, then a human that's trained would read that message and then decide what would be the appropriate contextual response. And then that then retrains the model. Because we're focused primarily on kind of scheduling calls, kind of administrative scheduling of these calls to get them on the phone with a specialist, we've not yet to open up a white label solution. It's nuanced. You know, most of our clients are in financial services, insurances, home services, and these are highly considered purchases. So most of the companies are not going to transact over a text message. We can answer questions, we can, you know, get deeper attribution, we can, you know, enrich the conversation and then get that information to the client. But at the end of the day, if you're buying a house or signing, you know, paperwork on an insurance, generally you're going to need to get on the phone with somebody. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Perfect. All right, listen, let's dive a little bit into drips. Have you guys raised money? I'm assuming you guys have raised some capital. Nope. Still bootstrapped, no debt, profitable, still founder owned, founder led. So yeah, still bootstrapped today. Give us a little sense of growth, whether that be employees, what are, if you can share revenue range, percentage growth, something. I know you hit the, you know, you were ranked top 20 for fastest growing companies. What does that mean? Give us a sense of scale. Yeah, I think we broke 10 million in 2018. We launched in early 2016. 
And, you know, we're, we're probably going to do over double that this year. We have doubled or tripled almost every year. And in most measures, we're up to over 80 employees now, I believe. You know, we're, we have a built out a pretty strong leadership team, building out a good product team now, dev teams, expanding sales team. We've hired somebody now to run sales, very high level enterprise sales, where a lot of times it was myself or our co-founding partner, Tom, who was the first client would actually handle 90% of the sales at one point. Hey there, sorry to interrupt this episode in progress, but I have something really cool to share with you and I promise to keep it brief. I've decided to give away $100 this week to one of my growth experts listeners. Yep, that could be you. Here's all you have to do in order to qualify for the giveaway. Take a screenshot of your phone or any device for that matter showing that you're subscribed to my growth experts podcast and then text it to 716-218-8981. Again, that's 716-218-8981. This will get you entered into the contest and a chance to win the $100 just for listening. Number two, for more entries to win, for more chances to win, simply share any episode of My Growth Experts podcast on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or even Twitter, but you have to tag me at Ask Dennis Brown in order for it to count as another entry. The more shares, the more entries. Okay, guys, that's it. For full details on this contest, Go to askdennisbrown.com forward slash contest. Now let's get back to the show. Separate question. Do you plan on raising capital? Eventually, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, to speed up. Just, you know, the market is getting more open to texting. Big brands are seeing the value in it. You know, they're getting crushed by bad contract rates on on call centers and bad open rates on email and direct mail is not doing what it used to. Radio is not doing what it used to. So the market, I think, is expanding faster than I, I believe we can bootstrap. So they're speeding up. That's part of it. And then the other part is myself and my co-founders, you know, we could probably take a couple chips off the table and, you know, hedge a little bit and then really swing for the fences for something very, very big. We make decisions now like a bootstrap company. You know, we're very thoughtful with every dollar we spend. We're very lean. And that sometimes can come at the cost rapid expansion. Even though yeah. we are growing very, very quickly, I believe we could probably grow much more quickly. So quick question, in order to bootstrap this, did you have a previous exit or did you just have like one of those foundation clients, you know, early clients that cash flowed really well? I mean, 80 people, you've been in, you know, you've grown rapidly. I mean, that, that's not cheap, right? It's hard to grow off a of cash flow, right? Even in a SaaS product, even if it's an enterprise type product, like it sounds this is a little bit more honed to. Did you have a previous exit or how did you end up? Great question. No, myself and my co-founder, our CTO and and our our founding partner, who's also a co-founder, Tom, we're all entrepreneurs. We've all had profitable businesses and did well for ourselves through the years in a litany of different projects, businesses, you know, online performance marketing stuff. I'm a programmer. Tony's a programmer. Tom's owned many different businesses. So, and we're also, you know, like Tony's from Buffalo. I'm from Akron, Ohio. And there, it's interesting, you know, up, up till three or four years ago, I never knew what VC or PE or what primary secondaries or EBITDA or any of these things really were. People that start businesses in, in these areas, I think often don't. Now it's getting to be more prevalent because I think you got the East Coast and the West Coast, you know, VCs and PEs coming in because they find there's a lot of, you know, just profit focused businesses out here. But we built these businesses and these projects to make money, not to raise money, not to exit, just to positive cash flow. So yes, it, it was more the latter where we built a project for Tom. 
Tony and I did that was the early rendition of Drips. It was a texting platform. It wasn't called Drips. It was just an IP. It was just outbound. You know, there wasn't a lot to it. And 2000 iterations later, you know, you have what, what we have now. No, I love that. And I love the fact that you built it to, as a profitable business. So that's going to bode very well for you guys if you do, if and when you decide to go out to the market, obviously, right? Because you're going to be in a much different position than the typical typical startup who's, especially in this climate, who knows what's going to happen in the financial markets? Yeah, Who knows we were, what, you know, how we, money's going to act in the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, we were definitely looking at doing something sooner, you know, essentially now during COVID and the pandemic. But the truth of the matter is right now, it's too much of a buyer's market. There's, you know, people are out there deal shopping, which, you know, makes sense. Supply, demand, right? You got companies that really have to get the cash so they can then you know, these VCs and PEs, they can leverage that opportunity. And we're just not a great deal because we're not leverageable in that sense. So, you know, we're not interested in, in competing with those kind of deals. So we just kind of heads down, focused on, you know, building the foundation and, you know, we'll pop our heads up in a few months and see how things look. Yeah. Profit is your salvation today. That's for sure. It definitely yes. gives you much more of a runway than the average tech company that's, that's in their second or third year, unless they went out and already raised a ton of money. So, all right. Well, listen, that's very interesting. Thank you for being so transparent and being open to sharing that information. I think that's important for the listeners to understand. Let's dive into this whole partnership model, right? I mean, you took a very interesting approach and it's an approach that not many companies do. And when they do it, they don't necessarily do it right. So talk to us about how you leveraged partnerships to see such huge growth. First thing I always try to think about with partnership marketing is, are you ready for it? Like, so when before partnership marketing becomes actual partnership marketing, all it really is a good network, referrals, social proof, case study, things like this. So like when we started, we had none of that, right? So we had to fight for our first logo or two. And then when we got those first couple logos, I remember three day blinds and, and debt.com were among them. And then we got creditrepair.com from a referral from debt.com. And then we got somebody else from a referral from three day blinds. And then we started to look at those clients as we started to develop ideal client profile on ICP. And we said, all right, what other tools are out there that these companies are using? And namely, one that we've had a really strong partnership with is a company called Invoca. They do call routing and analytics. So as Drips gets people on the phone, those calls go into a system that is either Invoca or looks a lot like a company like Invoca. And they then would route the calls. So we started thinking, okay, well, these guys have the exact same ICP. They are not competing with us in any way, shape, or form. Our systems literally touch each other, meaning that there is a direct symbiotic relationship. So we started you know, heavily investing in what I would just call relationship building and equity building with Invoca. And that, that means I'm connected very deeply and have a great relationship with their CEO, some of their original founders. I've talked to their investors. Our marketing people are connected, our social media people are connected, our HR people are connected, our product people are getting connected now. And that's really what it takes. It's just a very thoughtful, give first mentality. And we're a smaller company too. So that's something you also have to think about is when you, A, are you ready for partnership marketing, which you have to have social proof, you have to have an ideal client profile, and you have to be able to identify the types of companies that you'd want to work with. And then when you do identify them, Hopefully, they're a little bit bigger than you. They're a little bit further along in their journey, but not so much bigger that you can't bring them value. Like I couldn't go to Salesforce as an example and hang out or chat with their CEO. I, I could bring Salesforce very, very little value that would matter to them. But 
if I can help influence a couple big deals for Invoca this year, then that, that's a very valuable thing. And then they in turn would want to do the same. It also has to be very real. That's something that I've learned as we've worked well with certain partners and other partnerships kind of fell off. You have to like the other parties, meaning you have to truly align from a cultural standpoint because this is a long-term effort. And if you don't like the other parties and if you don't enjoy talking to them, you don't enjoy checking in, you don't enjoy seeing them at the trade shows, then you will never see the ROI because you just won't get there. You won't get uh, you know months and months into it. So I think that's interesting because you know I think a lot of people when they hear the word partnership marketing they automatically assume like channel marketing, yeah. right? I yeah. think there's an assumption there, and I think you know what you're doing is much more strategic, yep, much more long term in a longer process, and they're very customized. It sounds to me like it's not a you know templatized model. I mean, you can at a high level like you're giving us now, talk about how to start developing those relationships. But I mean, these are things that can take months or years to develop, you know, yes. that type of rapport. But the great part is, is when you, if you hit the ball, right, you know, it's going to be a nice double, triple, maybe even a home run when you do it right. So, I mean, talk to us about some of those differences and what you learned. Yeah. I never poo-poo on channel. I think it's super appropriate for companies that are bigger. And I don't think partnership is right for companies that are smaller. And some of those bigger companies, they can't do partnership the way that we do it. I think of it as scaling vertically, not horizontally, meaning we are going very, 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 very deep with a few very, very aligned companies in the market. And we create this network coverage by doing that. It's all thoughtful. It's all sweat equity. Partnership is co-exhibiting at trade shows. Channel follows a very defined process. Partnership is sweat equity. There's very little to no red tape in partnership. It's just working and helping each other, literally, in, in, in the sense of sweat equity. It's co-blogging. It's liking each other's stuff on LinkedIn. It's catching up about best business practices. I've talked to a lot of the, my CEO peers in the, in the market as we've been going through this pandemic. You know, What are you guys doing? How are you dealing with work from home? What's your best practices? So it's, it's even stuff that has nothing to do with revenue. Most of the conversations, I would say, have nothing to do with revenue. Our CROs are aligned to a point where they're talking about how they do sales process and you know tweaking things. Our recruiting people are kicking each other resumes that you know we ended up passing on in the final stage. It's true, you know, enablement and network coverage through deep, deep, deep sweat equity. But what that can do is on the handful of deals that really matter, the Liberty Mutuals of the world, the three day blinds of the world, you can speed up that sales process ridiculously. Like if I come with a referral for one of our partners or peers in the marketplace, that means a lot. And the velocity of that pipeline will move so much more aggressively. So again, it's not scaling horizontally, meaning we're trying to make a hundred new deals this year. We're just trying to move three or four hugely impactful ones much, much more quickly. Yeah, I love that. And what I love about it is that it's really, it's very collaborative, right? And it's not one way. Channels sometimes have a tendency to be a little bit one direction, right? someone's feeding somebody clients, right? It's not always reciprocating, you know? And so what I love about that is some of those examples you gave, you know, just simple stuff like co-blogging and sharing, you know, I thought that was a great, that concept you gave in, in the hiring process where you had some really strong candidates that you ended up got to the final stage and you passed on them and hired someone else and you passed them over to Invoca. Invoca? Yep. Invoca. Invoca. I-N-V-O-C-A. Yeah. Yeah, it's just all about thoughtfulness. You know, like Joey Liner, the CRO at a company called DMS, he, the difference between channel and partnerships is when Joey introduces or does a referral for Drips, 
he's on the first couple calls. He's, he's navigating it and refereeing it and helping, you know, bridge the gap on the value proposition where with Chan and also, you know, to be candid, he doesn't get paid for that work. He gets paid by us doing the same for him with channel. It's just an email intro and somebody's expecting a couple of percent and they, and they're, they're hands off, you know, they have nothing to do with it other than opening a door, which again, nothing wrong with that. That's how you scale horizontally when you have a, in my opinion, a bigger company or, or a more repeatable process, but with highly considered purchases, managed technologies, agency, things like that, that are selling to enterprise, I prefer our method. Okay. I love that. Awesome. Anything else you want to add about the whole partnership model? Anything in particular you want to add about that? Maybe, you know, whether it be maybe some mistakes you made, maybe it's something you learned, whatever the case may be. The mistakes in the identification process, you know, we identified, we meaning my head of marketing, Jonathan Pogat, we identified maybe 40 companies, right? We're like, oh, these are all our best, best in class peers and partners in the industry. And, and they are truly. But what we realized was you should probably focus on four or three or two or start with one. You know, so I think really, really, really laser focusing on the companies that you have the most symbiotic relationship, you're able to give the most to, and that are just mostly, and that are deeply, deeply aligned when it comes to product market fit. Again, for Invoca as a perfect example for us, they do inbound calls. We do conversational texting that causes inbound calls. You couldn't have a, a better, tighter fit. And you know, now we're looking at doing product enablement together and co-selling and case studies and all this other stuff. So I think just focusing, going very narrow and trying to go as deep as you possibly can. And then again, remembering that you, meaning the founder or the CEO, the head of sales, whatever it is, can't do it all. You have to have a multi layered approach, meaning like the C-level should be connected, the head of sales should be connected, the head of marketing, the social media, the HR, all of these things, they should have their own relationships and be working their own efforts. I think that's a really important point. It's not one point of contact, it's parallel contacts. And I think that makes, I think that would make all the difference. I think that would make a huge difference. You knowing the CEO is just first base, right? The head of sales and the head of customer service and the head of technology. I think that that's a really interesting point. I don't think people think that deeply into the process. I think that there's just, they think that, hey, you know, we're going to, the CEO is going to push it down and make it all happen. And that's not going to happen. The opposite is true, right? The CEO, myself included in a smaller company than theirs, anybody could force things down, but that's not how you get things adopted and get traction. You know, you have to have buy-in at multiple levels of the organization, even in product, even with developers, you have to have those multi- multi-attachment points. And again, it's more of a compounding efforts, more network coverage, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, if you matter at every level, you matter to the company. If you just matter to the CEO, you matter to the CEO, that's good. That's a great start. But you know, they're busy. Everybody's busy. So if you can help the social media person have more you know, social media ideas or, or help the marketing person have more content, now you matter at that level. If I can help influence a pipeline for the CROs, now we matter at this level. If I can help get the CEO on a panel with me or he get you know, me on a panel with him or do some, you know, some co-case studies, now we matter at that level. So they all matter. Yep. Perfect. I love that. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to ask you a couple rapid fire questions and we're going to wrap it up for today. What's your favorite growth tool or software, SaaS product, something obviously other than drips? Mm. Something that you use as your team and you just think really helps you from a growth perspective. I, I've used different tools at different times. I use contact to 
was it called contactually was a CRM that I used when I was running sales for drips. It's just a, it's a marketing tool that does automatic email and reminders on when to touch base with people based on the pipeline stage they're at. Now we use Salesforce, but anybody building a company that's trying to bootstrap, I think contactually was a super, super strong tool because every day I wouldn't have to think about it. I would just wake up. It would say, make sure you follow up with this person. You sent them a contract. Make sure you follow up with that person. You know, you owe them a call. Follow up this person. You owe them an email. SaneBox is something that I am very, very hot on. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's a email tool that cleans up your email to the point where it's usable again. I get an un, um, unbelievable amount of emails and SaneBox does a great job at filtering and bucketing and you know putting BCCs in a separate folder, putting CCs in a separate folder, putting certain people into later, putting certain people into the inbox. You can snooze messages by dropping them into different folders. That's a, that's a tool that's really enabled me a lot. And maybe lastly, from a, again, from a partnership marketing and B2B enterprise tool called Feedly, F-E-E-D-L-Y. It's a news syndication platform. We follow all of our industry terms, all of our competitors, all of our clients, all of our prospects, all of the regulatory terms You know that we, we always try to stay educated about. And it's essentially just what Google Reader used to be, which is just a syndication of Google Alerts, any information that's out there that is relevant. I believe deeply in you know kind of putting your head down and working while you're building, but once you get to a point where you're you know, in more of a scale up mode and less of a startup mode. I think being very, very in tune with your industry and what's going on with your clients matters a lot. In the past, we've had times where a client got sold to another company and we didn't even know until three months later versus if we were watching the news, you know, and keeping an eye on them and trying to be experts in their business or at least up to date on their business. I think that's an important thing that a lot of B2B SaaS companies miss. Love it. Great tips. And what would be one book maybe you've read recently or something you think might help, you know, the listeners on their journey? There's a few. During the pandemic, I just refer, I put together a short list. One was The uh, Man's Search for Meaning, which is Viktor Frankl's book. Uh, he was a, a psychiatrist that went through the Nazi death camps. And it was all about mindset and frame of mind and how even in something as horrible as that, he was able to keep, you know, somewhat of a positive attitude, if you will, and be mindful of you know how things could be worse, so I think that's a good book to read now. The obstacle is the way is a Ryan Holiday book. It's all about getting through hardship and then coming out the other side stronger. And then lastly, one that we're doing in my book club right now is called The One Thing. It's a book just all about prioritization, figuring out the one thing that you can work on today, this week, whatever it may be, that'll make all the other things on your list easier or irrelevant. Perfect. Well, listen, AC, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about Drips, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Yeah, everybody just check out drips.com. We got a, a blog up there. Uh, anybody can connect to me on LinkedIn. Uh, my email is ac at drips.com. I'm, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn and love connecting with people. Love it. Really appreciate you being here. Congrats on all the success. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.